0: you know, should we keep working with this? Because the devil doesn't like this. He'd love these kids to stay on the street, mm-hmm. and he, he would love to just be able to use them for whatever purpose he has. Mm-hmm. But to see kids that, you know, slowly get straightened out and to work through those things um, is, is just really encouraging to us. And I know the Lord is glorified through us and mm-hmm. through that, and we just continue to pray for these kids.
1: That was the voice of Becky Ward, missionary to the Democratic Republic of the Congo. We were so blessed to have her and her son Paul at our church recently. I'll let her tell you her story in just a little bit, but before that, I want you to hear about the family she comes from. This is Paula Eamon. Welcome back to Cloud of Witnesses. You're listening to Episode 23, Rescue the Perishing. I'll reference several past episodes in today's episodes. You'll be able to find them at my website, www.enduringwitnesses.com. Grandpa Green's name was Herbert. The locals called him Tatanababi. He and his Montana native wife were pioneer missionaries to unreached people groups in the Congo. They learned the local language from scratch and served with the Africa Inland Mission in Northeast Congo for nine years without a furlough. In 1926, they decided to bring the family to Florida for schooling. Because the gospel knows no bounds, Grandpa Greens developed a rural outreach right there in Florida. Many were drawn to the Lord. During evangelistic meetings, his son Bob came to saving and joyful faith in the Lord. This fueled the time he spent visiting veterans in the hospital with his dad. Eventually, news came from the Green's former colleagues in East Congo that a work in Central Congo was beginning and that they were invited to join them. They volunteered right away to work at the Sehene mission station. The Lord blessed them with inheritance money which paid for their passage. A leaky ship, minimal winds... Torn sails and rationed water characterized their voyage, but the kids made the most of it by riding their bikes, playing hide-and-go-seek, and and watching the sharks and porpoises. Tragically, the captain told them that the ship would have to be abandoned. The Grings fasted and prayed for the Lord to intervene. Everyone had to climb into lifeboats. The crew then set the ship on fire as a last-ditch SOS effort. Seasickness plagued Grandma Grings. Bailing water occupied Tata Nababi. Due to the small size of their lifeboats, they were almost overcome by the rescue boats. Eventually, they climbed up to safety and were brought to Puerto Rico. Despite the temptation to give up and return to Florida, they prayed much and asked believers to help them with a the fare to Africa. The believers responded, and the Greens made it by way of steamship to Leopoldville, which is modern-day Kinshasa. Finally, they made it to the Sahene Mission Station. Their ministry in the Congo could begin again. Because white children were an attraction to the nationals, Grandpa Grings often had his kin singing songs and telling Bible stories in Kikongo, the local language. And not long after being established, the Grings learned of an unreached people group called Bangkutu. Tatanababi, Herbert, and his family began their trek to minister to them, all the while learning Lingala. This heart for needy people, courage to go wherever the Lord leads, and passion for the gospel characterized Grandpa Grings for the rest of his life. He passed this down to his children, and they passed it down to their children. This is the backdrop for my interview with Becky Ward today. She is the granddaughter of Tata Nababi. She and her husband Lee minister in the Congo now, along with Paul, one of their adopted sons. Despite having lost everything because of a devastating upheaval in the country and despite never having kids of their own, the wards began a boy's home in 2006. They love ministering in the interior, but the Lord made it very clear that the orphanage should be for the street kids of Kinshasa. These boys have been abandoned, and in Becky's words, have a lot of baggage. They come to the wards' God-given large home as children ages 10 and under and are immediately embraced and taught life skills and the comforts and responsibilities of living in a home. As only God can do in the hearts of His children, the wards are seeing some of these boys become not only grown men, but active participants in the church there. Their families have also become shining lights in the community as they demonstrate family behavior that is completely contrary to the social norms. Things like walking together as a family and sitting together at church. Honesty, manual labor, and English are the backbone of what Lee and Becky teach the orphans, and Lee is definitely the one to spearhead this work since he is such a gifted mechanic and fix-it man. Welding, driving, carpentry, and even sewing are just a few of the skills the boys learn, and it's really impacting the community. Montana, another of the ward's adopted sons, works for the doctor of the American Embassy. Another boy has a job with a local diplomat. I know they would greatly appreciate your prayers for this life-changing ministry. Truly, the home that Becky grew up in is where she learned how to pour into others. We're going to hear her describe that home, but before we do that, let's hear her describe the Congo and how her generation of greens got there. So Becky, can you tell us a little bit about where you're from? Hey, I am from the Democratic Republic of the
0: Congo. Now, there's two Congos, so I'm the Congo that has Kinshasa as its third the size of the United States, that's what I hear, and we live in the megacity of Kinshasa, and it's, okay, some people say there's 15 million, some people say there's 20, I don't know anybody that will ever be able to count how many people, <laughs> right. it's a growing city. And but we work mainly in the low income uh, neighborhoods of that city. There's very rich people uh, in Kinshasa. You have the ultra rich that get the mega bucks that don't even bat an eye at buying, you know, whatever they need in a store, they just have those stacks of money. And then you have the ultra poor that have never even been into any of those kind of stores and that don't know what they're going to eat for supper. So you have such a variety of people Hmm. uh, in the city. Uh, My dad began that many, many years ago. He just felt like he should work with uh, low income.
1: And so that's what we've continued to work with. That's wonderful. So um, how long have you lived in the Congo? Were you born there? I really wasn't born there. Okay. Okay. I started there. I was started there. Okay. um,
0: (laughs) Became pregnant with me and then... She had met my dad on the mission field. My dad was born on the mission field in 1920, and he grew up there as a missionary kid, and he just knew that that was where the Lord wanted him to serve all of his life. He spent most of his life on a bicycle, riding from village to village, and Mm. had nothing, uh, very, very little. Mm. Um, When my mom met him, probably could carry most of what he had on the back of his bicycle. we met mom and um, she came out as a single lady missionary and knowing that the Lord wanted her to serve the Lord in the Congo. And then the Lord just brought them together and they were married. And then my sister was born in the Congo. I was started in the Congo, but born in the States in Twin Falls, Idaho and went back. It was the first time my parents uh, had their first uh, furlough together. My, my dad hadn't gone on furlough before. Uh, you know, gone visiting churches, so he went with my mom, and so that was um, first time my mom's folks to meet my dad. Okay. And I went out when I was three months old on a boat. At that <sighs> time, we still weren't using planes so much.
1: Gotcha. I bet that
0: was quite the voyage. It was. Dad says he remembers trying to anchor my crib down when it was getting tossed all over um, because of the waves and everything that they went through, but. I don't remember any of that. Um,
1: <laughs> yeah, three months old, you probably didn't. <laughs> so, oh. so the Congo has been part of your life then for how many years? Are you, are you comfortable sharing that number?
0: <laughs> I, I have lived, I am 68 years old now. Okay. And I would say I have lived in the Congo by far the majority. Maybe I've been out of the Congo 15 years of my life. Okay, wow. Uh, yeah, but most of my life has been in the Congo, and
1: that's what's home to me. Really. Yep, that's home. That's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. So then well, my- on that note, what are your favorite things? What do you love about the Congo? Well, I
0: love the people. Hmm. I really love the people. Hmm. Uh, God has just given me a really love for the, the, the variety of people, the type of hospitality they give, just so many things. And I think another thing I, I really love about the Congo is the tropical climate. Oh. We're sitting in Elko with cold. I mean, <laughs> we can wear, I mean, 70 degrees in Congo is cold. And most everybody would have a jacket if you got to 70 degrees. So I love the tropical climate and I'm a cold-blooded person anyhow. So I love the <laughs> And I really, you know, another thing I really love about the Congo, the average person believes in a God. Huh. There's not atheism that you see here. I have I have met a few people when I've had uh, handed out tracts that don't believe God and say they don't want anything to do with this. Mm-hmm. But the majority of the people believe in in God. Unfortunately, they don't understand who God is,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and they're more concerned about the evil spirits and things like that. Mm-hmm. But there's not you know it's easy to pass out tracts. It's easy mm-hmm. to give away Bibles. Mm-hmm people realize you know i think are blessed too much sometimes we forget about god yes when Mm -hmm. when you're in difficulty and you're constantly trying to figure out how to survive you're looking for somebody who can help you more than more than a person Mm -hmm. a supreme being Mm -hmm. so i think that's something that's very important Mm -hmm. uh, in the people that they understand that so you have a grounds to start on in in a conversation with them.
1: Yeah, that's tremendous. And I think you're right. I think materialism really does blind our eyes to our need, you know, and when salvation is all about need, right? And so I'm sure that there's so much that can be equated to, um, physical poverty to spiritual poverty, right? Yes. That's a very good point. So, so that being said, what would you say are some of the biggest challenges of the Congo? Uh,
0: the, corruption yeah the corruption at all levels yeah at every level I mean this is even in churches even like um, these different ministries that we have you know it's just so accepted to lie or to take because um, that's what you need to do to get through that incident right Right. to help people understand that you know God expects us to do what's right and there's a right and there's a wrong Mm -hmm. and there's no in between average congolese officials really they respect us and Mm i really thank the lord for that respect and um, the care that they have for us once we get to know them Mm -hmm. but you have to get to know them and a lot of times that happens through an incident where maybe you're arrested or something and you realize that more and more you're not fearful when you something like that happens you 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 start looking forward to okay who does the lord want me to meet Mm-hmm. You know, this is bringing me to a person that normally I would never see. <laughs> so It's God's way of doing it. Mm. Um, kind
1: of like Paul and Silas in prison. They just went ahead and sang and shared the gospel there because that's where they were, right? You know, the salvation out of some of those people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. So... You've been in Congo for uh, the main part of your life. It's home now. Um, I'd love to ask you next what your growing up years were like and what spiritual truths uh, your parents strive to instill in you. But I, I want to give the caveat to my listeners that... Uh, So many um, of the people that I interview or read about come from a Christian home where wonderful foundations were set, but I know there are people that came from broken homes and did not have that spiritual foundation, and yet God the Father found them and saved them and took, took them where they were and made them beautiful reflections for Christ. So I just always want my listeners to know that you can be godly. Uh, despite the homes that you grew up in, but um, our precious guest today, Becky, was raised in a wonderful home, and so we would love to hear about that. And I love for the parents that listen to hear wonderful ideas that they can uh, use uh, for their children to point their children to the Lord. So, yeah, just tell us a little bit about your growing up years, what what that was like.
0: Well, you know, if you say that, tell us about your growing up. You're, right. You're right. the next twelve hours. I am- so thankful for my parents and for all that they taught me and just for, I don't know, their godly wisdom in raising us up. Uh, both of them were um, second generation. Um, I think my mom was second or third, anyhow, generation, you know, as far as being saved. Their parents were both saved. So they they already had knowledge of Christ and had grown up in families that Knew the Lord as their Savior, so that, that was really special for them, um, but they, um, my parents were just, both of them were committed to serving the Lord, and they both worked together. And, um, my parents first ministered in the interior,
2: mm-hmm.
0: so this is in the bush. I mean, there was yeah. nothing, um, we didn't have any grocery stores, we didn't have any um, post office, nothing like that. So you learn to survive with all. You you learn to not even expect those kind of things, and yet you know there was a way to minister, and mom and dad um, were able to do that. My mom homeschooled us. Mm-hmm. I know it was hard for her being a mom, and it was a foreign country for her. Even though she adjusted really well, mm-hmm. she was an Idaho gal who mm-hmm. grew up on potatoes and oh. you know, else. Right. And so in a country where you didn't have those kind of foods to eat. And uh, you had to figure out what the local food, how how to use it, and what to do with it. And she never, my mom never gave any of us kids the impression that she was suffering for God, you know, or that this was terrible for her, or you know she was always so positive and just mm-hmm. thankful for what we had. Of course, she came out of the depression era too. So she was just grateful for what we had, and she found ways to use what we could get locally. So like in our younger years, we ate corned beef quite a bit mm-hmm. and sardines quite a bit. And then, you know, eventually uh, dad taught us to hunt. And so we were able to get some wild games sometimes. But um, we, we didn't live to eat. We ate so we could live. Yeah, sure. So, you know, you weren't dreaming about what you're going to go out and eat tonight or anything. You just want supper's there. You're just so thankful to have something to eat and you ate it and you you didn't complain about what you had to eat. Mm-hmm. you were very grateful for it. So yeah. we grew up in a family where we were all thankful for the food we ate. And um, the mealtime was a neat time because it one of the uh, times that we could be together as a family. And my dad was a lot of times busy with people at the door and stuff, but he Eventually we'd show up but, <laughs> well, often mom would hold food for quite a while because dad was so involved in the ministry mm-hmm. and people would always be at the door,
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh, you know, asking for this or that, um, devotions was part of our, our, uh, life. Yeah. We grew up every morning. I remember as a, just a tiny kid, um, mom would take us and dad would come and get us out of our beds. We slept with mosquito nets. Sure. Into mom and dad's. Uh, mosquito net all put us together read the bible together and then we would get a simple breakfast normally hot cereal and then uh, everybody would be involved in whatever Mm -hmm. uh, ministries for that day and uh, every evening we would always have devotions together we just read one chapter of the bible
2: Mm -hmm.
0: and from that i learned so much about god's word Mm
2: -hmm.
0: there's parts of the bible that are just in my mind Mm -hmm. reading through it so many times with my folks and I just have to thank them for that. I mean, that is such a blessing to have that kind of heritage of parents that taught us that. And we continue to do that. We've done, done that in our home. Um, Lee came from a home where they didn't read, but he realized how important that was. And right away, he backed that uh, desire to have de- devotions together. And We do that um, every morning, no matter what, just mm-hmm. at least do something uh, in the word if it's even it, just listening, reading a few verses, if there's something that drastic. But uh, it's it's neat to start the day with the Lord and to end the day with the Lord. Mm. And I think that's something really important to the Lord, too, to know that we have time for him. Mm. And that we take time for him in each of our uh, days. And my parents showed that so much to us. And then my parents also had us memorize a lot of scripture. Sometimes mm. it was like a punishment. Like if oh. we were really rowdy or something like that um then mom would say well it's time to go learn a chapter of so-and-so you know um but I'm just so thankful for the many verses i memorized as a kid and uh, so often when I'm talking or something comes to my mind and I I just I don't know where to I a verse will come up Mm. that I have in my mind Mm. and will give me such peace that Mm. you know this is what I need for this this moment when I have a question. My parents did a lot of village work. So from the time we were just little kids, dad would take us um out to the villages. Mom sometimes in especially on Sunday, he would leave her at home so she could write letters because you had to write by hand. Remember there was a <laughs> so. He was the one that communicated with the states and kept you know, people in the States fulfilled. But remember, it would take probably three months or more for a letter to get home because wow. going by boat and then to come back again. So communication was slow. Right. But mom was really good to keep that going. Mm. And uh, dad would take us out to the village from the time we were just little kids. Mm. We didn't like it at first. Yeah. Oh. Uh, dad involved us whether we liked it or not. And he didn't stick with us, he would drop us off for somebody because he wanted to have as many services as he could. So each of us would either a deacon or a pastor or somebody else. And then dad would just ask us to either pray or um, tell a Bible story later on. As we got older, tell the Bible story of Daniel or David or something like that. And then the pastor could preach. Uh, in the meantime, he would go to the end of the village and then eventually come back. But that was an all afternoon thing. Wow. And it, we really, as kids, it was kind of like yeah, do we really have to do this again? Yeah, yeah. But then the more we did it, you know, we actually found the joy God gives you. Mm. When you come home, you would actually realize, you know, that was great. Oh. And it was neat to see this or that. Mm. And at a younger age, I already started to see the joy that God gave you from serving him. Mm. And uh, I think that each of us because all three of us there's three of us in our our family all three of us turned out to be missionaries
1: wasn't hmm. that neat yeah, yeah well it. and the, the parenting style this day this day and age i should say is you just don't make ripples you know so if if a kid doesn't want to do something then well let's see how we can not create ripples let's just let's keep it easy you know and i think uh really what is good for the parents is for the parents to be the leaders <laughs> and to say no this is what we're doing i know as a child you might not know what's best for you and you might not know what's best for the glory of god but i i know my lord and i i want to lead you children to do this even though you don't want to and so i think we parents nowadays have a lot to learn in that category
0: well i i believe it's so important for mm-hmm. parents to discipline and make, teach kids to do the things they should do. We by ourselves, we wouldn't do it. Right. And it's even teach us with housework, you know, that we have to clean, that we have to help with dishes, that we have to do all these things. My parents expected us to do it. And actually, we, we learned it at such a young age, there was right. no choice. Right. We did, this is what we will do. And then um, we went out to villages. And so, this is what is involved in going to a village. And so we all get together and you know try and get things together and pack and food that you're going to eat on the trip and uh, just just accepting that uh, and and my my parents just did not accept rebellion. Yeah. As as a result of being kids growing up there, you know our skin color and our hair color was so different than the the national people. And so a lot of times the kids would try to pull our hair or something. And at first that was so annoying to us. But my parents never said like, well that's just terrible. They would do that. My parents always encouraged us, just you know, don't let it bother you. Don't just just you'll get it used. And eventually we did. We learned, we found ways to have fun with it and to use it to to make them laugh, to make them get to know us better, you know, different things like that, not let it bother. And, and I think that's something our parents taught us in a lot of things, not to let us feel like we were suffering, but to see the good in it okay. and to be able to use it for a good advantage. Um, my parents taught us mm. uh, to really fear God and that that was really where you got your wisdom. And I think a verse that like, well, there's a number of verses, but like Psalms 111, uh, verse 10, Proverbs 1, 29, all are just a few of the examples of knowing to really fear the Lord. Uh, You love him. He's your father. But just like you fear your father, if you've done wrong, you, I mean, we did. We didn't want to, we didn't want to get spankings for nothing because there's, that's just the way God wants us to be and to also fear him. And you love your parents and I love the Lord, but I know that he, he cannot stand sin and so I have to be very careful and be just like David, you know, every time he sinned in the Bible, he was so quick, you know, to repent and to just cry and mm-hmm. be in anguish for what he did wrong, because realizing, you know, how much it it hurt the Lord. And so I think, um, but th- there's just needs we need to have a healthy fear of the Lord. And my parents taught me that just because the way they lived, you <laughs> can tell that they feared the Lord too. And uh, I think that's something that was really important. And then courage. My parents had so much courage. Um, We went through, you know, rebellions. We went through uh, very difficult times, Uh, but my parents never made big deals of it. Uh, I I think of in 1964, when there was this terrible rebellion. And I was about eight years old at that time. And I remember we were on this mission station and um is a uh, the place that uh, we first grew up had, had a decent house and stuff and were with other missionaries uh, this group that was really they were just rebels mm. and uh i think they were backed by Russia or whatever, that mm-hmm. um, had been taught taught to really do horrible things, yeah. and they were killing a lot of people and everything. And we, my dad had such peace that the Lord would take care of us. Mm-hmm. And you know, you you feel it as kids because you don't see him worried, you don't see your parents talking and just thinking, well, I just wish we could get out of here or whatever. They just show such. Peace to us kids. Maybe they did by themselves in their bedroom, you know, mm-hmm. who knows. But And I'm sure they did a lot of praying. Mm-hmm. But to us, we always saw such a sense of God is control. we don't have to worry. Yeah. You know, we just do it. If, if the Lord needs us to get out of there, he's going get, to uh, get us out of there. I remember the day uh, mom said, don't go to your windows, don't open your windows. Uh, and of course, as kids, what do you do? You go and open your windows. <laughs> there was a guy with his bow and arrow. Drawn right at our window. Oh my goodness! And so they had the rebels had surrounded our house. The so mom and dad didn't tell us. Okay, the rebels have said, surrounded our house. They just told us go to your rooms, and just stay there. Wow! And so dad was dealing with it, and God just gave him the wisdom to know how to deal with it. Uh, they thought that we had a government official hiding in our house. Okay, and we didn't. Right. And so dad was able to talk them uh, through it. But in the meantime, they were the the rebels were at the windows thinking that government officials might jump out of the windows oh. i guess so anyhow dad just had such god gave him such wisdom to be such a diplomat with the people just know how to work with these people you know when the government troops would get in it, then he would know how to work with them then when the rebels would come in he would know how to work with them so god just gave him you know real wisdom and in the end we, My aunt was killed just 15, 50 kilometers from us and we had no idea what she was going through yeah. as kids. I mean, I, I don't remember my parents even uh, mentioning much, but all of a sudden this plane comes over and drops this uh, bandage and it comes down and then we, we get it and read that my aunt has been uh, killed. Yeah. And just to see the way my mom took it, this was her sister. This is her little sister. Mm -hmm. And, you know, not knowing how she was killed or anything, that taught me so much about death.
1: I want to pause here to plug Episode 7. It's titled All Suffer Together, and it's completely dedicated to telling the story of Becky's Aunt Ruth Heggie, who was killed at the hand of the Congolese terrorists. It also chronicles the survival of Ruth's colleague Irene Farrell, who by God's grace and the kindness of the Congolese believers survived the terrifying experience. Episode six is titled, Going Forward by Looking Back. Becky's sister-in-law, Christine Grings, was my guest. She shares her very transparent perspective on life on the mission field and how the goodness of God has carried her through many difficulties.
0: I know my mom grieved, and I know I did, and all of us did. We felt bad, but it wasn't that grief without a hope. Right. It was grieving and knowing that this was in God's will. Mm -hmm. We might not understand it, but this is part of what he does, you know, has allowed and he has a purpose in it. So, you know, just the courage of my parents during times like that. And it just showed to us, you know, we could see it from our parents. Um, Then the humility of my parents, too. Again, something that was, um, I just think, Jeremiah nine twenty four uh, shows a little bit about uh, humility too. Just knowing that we have nothing to glory in ourselves; everything is a result of the Lord. We we could not do anything. We could not survive there without the Lord, and realize that everything comes from Him. Hmm. Uh, we were taught to work. My parents expected us to work. We, we actually growing up, we never have a, had a davenport, you know, a place to really sit down because we just didn't sit down. You know, <laughs> we were busy. Everybody was busy doing something yeah. and we kept busy uh, working. And, and uh, so they taught us to work and to enjoy working, mm. not to see it as a punishment, huh. but to actually enjoy working and seeing. And I know to this day, my brother and my sister, uh, we all enjoy doing things, working, physical work or whatever it is you get, and there's so many verses in Proverbs and other place about uh, lazy people, you yeah. know, and, and how the Lord doesn't like it. You read in Proverbs, you'll find a lot of verses about being lazy. Proverbs, <laughs> I think Proverbs 18.9 is one of the verses that's good. At, I mean, there's so many. And then my dad always said, waste not want not. We got to take care of what God has given us. He's given us so much compared to the nationals, Mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean that we can waste it. So we were not allowed to throw away food on our plates. Mm -hmm. We ate Mm -hmm. everything on our plate with Mm -hmm. Thanksgiving. And, you know, we always found ways to share what we had with others. And that was just, you learn it from your parents. They just taught us so much by example. And my mom was really that lady in Proverbs 31. Who was just so she honored her husband, she loved her husband. Mm-hmm. She took care of her family. She really thought good what little money they had, how she could raise us. Mm-hmm. Um, she homeschooled us for quite a while, but eventually she made a really good decision. She sent us to boarding school. Okay, and probably the best thing that could have happened to me because I was so good at figuring out how to skip school at oh, home. Oh you know, yeah, my brother and I were not good when it came to. You know, doing school. So I think mom finally decided, well, the best thing to do is to send them to boarding school. Okay. And that was really good to teach us to study and then more than anything to teach us to stand on our own. Okay. And where was that that you went? Kinshasa, the capital city. Where so was that? We, the capital city, Kinshasa? So we oh. were
1: so oh, interesting. Was it an
0: yeah. English speaking school then? It was. It was called the American School of Kinshasa, and oh. there was many missionary kids there. Okay. But most of those missionary kids never turned out to meet missionaries themselves. Uh, oh. they, 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 they resented, having yeah. to be uh, missionary kids and something yeah. else. But uh, every time, my dad would catch rides down to see us. So whenever he would come, he would always take us out to services, take oh. us out to the in the village. Uh, you know, in, in Kinshasa itself. Yeah. So I, I know it was hard for them to have us away. And we miss them like crazy because we only saw them twice a year. Aww. But it was years that we learned to stand on our own. Yeah. We, learned, we had already been trained. And now are we going to stand on that? Are we going to do like a lot of the other kids? There was a lot of, yeah, missionary kids can be pretty bad. Well, so, I'm a
1: pastor's kid and it's uh, kind of one in the same. I get it. <laughs> so there was the
0: kids that, you know, just didn't choose to follow. Well, if their parents taught them that. So yeah. it was a that we already started learning mm-hmm. to apply what our parents had taught us. Mm-hmm. And then we had devotions together. I remember my sister and I would always have devotions together. And then my brother, when he eventually came, we would have devotions with him because in the dorm, sometimes they didn't have devotions.
1: Oh, okay. So
0: we, would, we would have devotions together. And that for me was, I was saved when my aunt died. I accepted Christ as my savior. But I honestly, uh, as a especially when I went to the door, I started doubting my salvation sometimes Mm -hmm. because I would be with other kids that were doing things that were wrong. And sometimes I would not do what I I knew I should. And I think, well, did I lose my salvation? Did I really accept Christ as my savior to start with? And I started doubting my salvation sometimes. Mm
2: -hmm. And then
0: I spoke to my sister because my sister was such a good girl. She was just, we called her the angel. (laughs) If if mom and dad said, no, it was no. Okay. always a really, really good kid. And so I I, I said to her one night I said, Ruthie, you know sometimes I don't know you know if I really am saved or not. And so she went through and explained. and you know after that I I understood and I never doubted my s- salvation uh, mm. again. I know I was saved earlier, but she helped me understand it in a way that uh, was so clear to me. Mm. And so I'm just really thankful for that a time then, then it, it really helped me more stand on my feet around kids that were, were not doing some of the things they should missionary kids, mm-hmm. and just being more of an example. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the Lord. So those were good years. I, I was three years in a boarding school. Okay, um, there was four years, and my brother was two years. Okay. Um, um, so then we went back to the States, and I had 10th grade in a public school. So again, okay. another experience. Okay. Uh, with uh, people who didn't know the Lord as their Savior. Yeah. Uh, but just standing up for the Lord in a place where the kids would taunt us and call us Congo.
1: Oh.
0: Because well, okay, I don't know why they did that, but anyhow, but not letting that bother you. Yeah. But I'm thankful that I went to boarding school because it really taught me to study. And oh, that's good.
1: Like,
0: yeah, I got campus. Oh. I got yeah because i flunked the first semester
1: oh so, i'm sorry
0: yeah they put well i got D's, and so they put me in a study hall where they put kids that got low grades and i had to go to that study hall every night
2: mm-hmm. and
0: all the other kids were outside playing and i was like okay i am not going to be in here again mm-hmm. and so i went to study and, and then I, I got C's, B's, and then eventually just got A's and B's, you know? There Never you go. Had, I just, I needed to be motivated. Yeah. And that motivated me more than anything else, mm-hmm. having to sit at a table at night, which <laughs> sometimes did even have something to do.
1: Yeah. That's um, not, that wasn't the Green's way, was it? <laughs> it was well Mm -hmm. Well, what a trajectory. Um, and so you said you were saved. Um, would you say it was a result of, um, maybe becoming more aware of death because your aunt died or what was, what was that kind of step to salvation? I think mom explained to us, you
0: know, my sister was saved. Um, I think, yeah, all of us. If I remember maybe my sister was saved before that, but I think my, my brother all also accepted Christ during that time because we realized that, hey, you know, we don't know when we could go. Right. And that we really need to be ready. And our parents have taught us that all along. But right. you know, we have to make the decision. We've got to really realize that okay, this if we don't ask Christ into our hearts, we are not going to go to heaven. Right. You know? Born sinners into real, and we knew we were sinners. Right, you know, we knew we were, Christ died for that
1: mm-hmm. for our
0: sins, and the only re- way that we could go to heaven was accepting Him mm-hmm. that He died in our place. Mm-hmm. And uh, but then I understood, you know, at that younger age, you don't quite ex- you um, understand, but you don't understand as much as you do when you get older. Really, absolutely, what Christ went through for us. Right, and the older I get as I listen to messages on how Christ suffered, you know, it just makes you, um, so grateful for what he did for us and want that much more to serve him Mm -hmm. and to honor him and glorify him for what he did. So, yeah. Mm
1: -hmm. So, okay. So you were at the boarding school in Kinshasa and then you went to public school in the States, I'm assuming Idaho. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh Okay. So then what was your path after that? Did you go, you know, you went to college or. So right to the mission grade, field. After 10th grade, we went back. My sister stayed in the States and she
0: got married um, to a missionary kid. Okay. And, um, that was, she didn't go back with us, but my brother and I went back with our, our parents and mom and dad gave us a choice of uh, going back to a boarding school or doing school by herself. And we both said, no, we'll homeschool. Okay. And I took um, university of Nebraska. Hmm. And it was the courses that you could do, and I did myself. My mom didn't have to do it any of it. Okay, you know, I, I I was determined to get done
2: yeah. in less
0: than two years. Oh, and so I was able to finish school actually early, and went to college, um, in Salem Baptist College, um, in '73.
1: Okay, I, is that Oregon?
0: Correct. Okay, but then later on, I finished up at. Um, in Western Baptist in Tacoma, Washington, but I did two okay. years there first and I enjoyed college. I mean, mm-hmm. just knew that this is where the Lord and didn't have any trouble with the studies is just that my parents couldn't afford. Uh, so we, we worked mm-hmm. to help our, our way through school, mm-hmm. but enjoyed being able to study God's word and things like that. And mm-hmm. just, I, I missed home so much because mm-hmm. You couldn't call your parents. I loved Africa and I loved, uh, our family was very close. We loved together as a family. Mm -hmm. So mm
1: -hmm. is college where you met your hubby then?
0: No. mm -mm. So came back to then in 73, uh, baptism admissions pulled out of Congo. Oh. and So my parents were missionaries under baptism admissions. Okay. And they had to leave. Oh, we 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 couldn't go back to Congo under Baptist missions, and then my dad decided that no, that's where the Lord wanted him. So he resigned from Baptist missions and went back and got into the country. And then by the grace of God, uh, a church in Twin Falls, Idaho, Grace Baptist, was able to help us get permission to be back in the country, and um, that, that's how we got back into Congo. And then my brother and I, we were both in college. I, you know, I was going to go for two more years, but I just finished two years. So we decided, hey, how can we let our parents go back by themselves? But mm-hmm. they have been all the Baptist missionaries before, you know, um, we just felt like they needed somebody to go back with us. And I see that in my son, Paul, now, mm-hmm. our son, where, you know, he really wants to help minister with us in mm-hmm. Africa, where he's raising his support now so that he can go back and work with us. Mm-hmm. And we felt the same thing for our parents. We just felt like, Man, we need to go back and try to help them. So we went back not being missionaries or anything, but just co-workers with them. No longer missionary kids. But we were in our 20s and under. Okay. And um, then they they let us, my parents always let us do things that maybe some parents wouldn't. You know, like you could take trips by yourself on bicycles or Mm -hmm. Dan and I went out on evangelism on bicycles Mm -hmm. by ourselves, motorcycles or whatever, and became really a part of the ministry, not just as missionary kids anymore, but I, those years in our lives, uh, really defined our future. Oh. Uh, it, really, it showed us that this is where the Lord wants us hmm. and uh, just the love for working and just the, just seeing the Lord work out so many difficult situations and yet how he protected us. Oh, we, we saw a lot of things happen, but always to see how the Lord would protect you through it. Hmm. Uh, and Can so you think, give us
1: an example of of one of those?
0: Oh man, there's so many times
1: <laughs> all, we all got
0: arrested, and we all put in and and an I forget what we were even arrested for. It's
1: <laughs> hard to keep track in the Congo, isn't it?
0: <laughs> we are put in arrested with my uncle and oh. put under house arrest for I think they thought they were missionary mercenaries in the country or something, and whether we're, I like I said, we've been. That's happened so many times, but just to see how the Lord took care of us. And then finally, we were able to get permission. And my, um, my uncle had had a speedboat. And so we were able to go out on the river, even though we were supposedly under house arrest and just to see him protect. And um, uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot of places where we just saw the Lord's hand Hmm. uh, in protecting us through difficult situations and um, just knowing that it was him. Yeah, and uh, as a family, and then then eventually we went back to states, and I finished college in Tacoma, Washington. Okay, and uh, graduated with a BS in um, English, and then the Lord knew the Lord wanted me back on the mission field, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: and I hadn't ever dated any guys in the space because I just didn't see anybody that was headed that direction.
2: Yeah, and I
0: knew the Lord wanted me in Africa, Mm
2: -hmm. and
0: that's where my heart was, and. So I when I graduated, I wanted to go back. And yet going on deputation was a little bit, um, well, it was kind of intimidating to me. Like, I bet. So, and, you know, how am I going to go ask people for money? And that's a wrong attitude to have. I'm convicted of that now. I mean, actually, it's people are sharing in the work, but I was like, no, I'll just go out and live with my parents and um, work with them. And so I was planning on doing that, and then the church that I worked in while I was in uh, Bible school, they just a, a couple months before I graduated, the pastor and the deacons called me in. And I was like, "Oh, what do the pastor and deacon want to talk to me about?" <laughs> said, you know, we know that you love the Lord and that you want to serve Him, but how are you going to support yourself? And I said, "Well, I don't know, but I know my mom and dad have a house, and, and you know, I can live with them and." I can uh, sew clothes for Africans. They love clothing and probably get $5 an outfit or something like that. And mm-hmm. I can teach in the school, which would probably be $10 a month,
2: mm-hmm. you know,
0: pay. So it's not very, but so anyhow, they said, we really want to support somebody that will come back and minister in our church. Oh, we want to support a missionary full time
2: mm-hmm.
0: that will come back, you know, after they're been done and work in the church hmm. so this is a Silicon baptist in mm-hmm. tacoma washington and so they said how much would do you think it would cost for you if we supported you full time and i was like i don't have a clue and you know there's no phones you can't call your parents and say right. mom and dad what what do you you know what's your budget out there mm-hmm. so i just said well let me pray about it mm-hmm. and you know i'll try to figure out But it should be. And, but you know, the Lord lays on my heart. So I came up with 400. I mean, 400 is a lot more than $10 or $5 <laughs> in an right. outfit. And so they said, sure, we'll take you on and we'll start supporting you already this month. help help buy my ticket out there. And so the first five years I was supported basically by Telecom Baptist church. Wow. And then the Lord sent Lee out. As a as a short term missionary, from so that we, church, from another church that my oh. parents visited, Roswell,
2: oh.
0: yeah, Roswell Baptist, in Wilder, Idaho. Okay, we had visited as a family that church many times, and and Lee was just felt like he could help do mechanics so that the missionaries, like my brother and my brother in law, who were pastors, would have more time for preaching and preparing for preaching. Okay. So he came
1: out just. Mm-hmm. So did he Did he come out specifically to help? He knew of the Greens family, and he came right. out specifically to help your dad and his ministry?
0: Yeah, he came out specifically with Dan and Chris. And okay. I think was, a whole bunch of them came at the same time they'd been home on furlough. My oh. mom and I had been left by ourselves on the mission station. And okay. my dad's was gone in, in Kinshasa trying to get permission for us to be in the country. Oh. Uh, so we spent a lot of time by ourselves on the the mission station so then he came out with them uh was going to only be out for six months but then i mean it, he found that there was so much to do because that's he was farmer's kid so okay. at that time you know the farming during the winter months that you know they don't do a whole lot as far as farmers so mm-hmm. he said it's a good time that he could help us out there and then as a result we met and then the lord worked and uh when i came back in uh, 80, 87, um, came back to the States, and then eventually um, he came back at the same time. And then we decided the Lord had brought us together. And uh, I am so thankful for him. I'm just so thankful for the Lord bringing such a wonderful man into my life. And he, he didn't grow up in Africa, but the way he's accepted the culture, the food, you know, just all the problems. Sometimes, you know, he, he didn't grow up there. So, you know, he hasn't had this kind of life all of his life,
2: mm-hmm. but
0: he has just been so good to accept it. And he loves the kids. We have a home for boys mm-hmm. and uh, he loves working with the boys. And mm-hmm. um, when we were married, then our church doubled the support. Oh, and that wonderful. For, yeah, so that was fine working in the interior. But then mm-hmm. when we got looted in 98 and had to live in the city with all the expenses of the city, there's no way we could survive on that. Mm-hmm. So we both ended up getting part-time jobs with the American Embassy. And um, we have continued, he continues to work at the American Embassy as a maintenance person as a local hired. And so okay. that's, you know, about half of our support comes from that.
1: Yeah, so, so by like, vocational is is but, how we'd call you. So, um, yeah. so first of all, how long have y'all been married? Uh, Uh, since 87 okay i put her on the spot (laughs) we'll do the math later (laughs) Uh, so what what fuels you uh, what truths from the word of god anchor you because you know i know you have been through a lot you know with the death of your aunt and evacuations and violence and corruption and i'm sure health i mean we all have health things so i'm sure that has been in your a a factor in your life what would you say is something that's so anchoring to you
0: oh just knowing that the Lord's going to take care of us
1: yeah knowing that you
0: know we we can't be despaired in despair or something when things happen we just know that god is working out something yeah a lot of times we can't see that like recently when i was really sick out there uh just and we were had so many things that were just you felt like um you know, you, okay, this might sound crazy, but you almost feel like you've been abandoned by God. You know, no, it doesn't sound happy.
1: crazy. It doesn't well, sound sure, crazy doesn't at all.
0: Hardy. You know, Lord, what's happening? I mean, yeah. well, you almost feel like job where he says, you know, I know I didn't do wrong, but what, why is this? Why does just one thing after another, like, right. I'm so sick. And we had one kid kids into jail and then scabies and mm-hmm. all these things in the home why lord at this time mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden the lord just shows you mm-hmm. uh, what what his real plan was is that yeah he didn't want you to move mm-hmm. or you know and and if you had been healthy and there wasn't been all these other problems you would have been further into trying to get moved which you thought you should do but it wasn't his plan at that time yeah and just even now um just know how the lord's worked out for this trip with Paul. But mm-hmm. um, just seeing, again, knowing that, okay, God has opened the door for us to go. He's going to open up meetings for us. Mm-hmm. And seeing how the Lord allowed Pastor Jeremy to let him into Elko uh, and just share um, what the Lord has on his heart. And mm-hmm. just a number of pastors who opened up mm-hmm. uh, their churches to to Paul to be able to share So knowing that the Lord is going to work things out Mm -hmm. and not being a person that tries to, to help the Lord solve problems.
1: that's easier said than done,
0: isn't it? To realize that, okay, we just have to depend on him, you know, just cast our cares upon him Mm -hmm. and just trust him for um, things that are so far um, beyond our understanding and not knowing what to do or, and just wisdom and dealing with each of the boys and all the different um, problems that they're dealing with and trying to help encourage them in the right direction. And, you know, we're not able to have as close of contact with them as our two boys that we adopted, Mm -hmm. but um, still being able to just help them. uh, And and they say, they say, I mean, they say, mama, we watch you. Mm. Um, We watch you and dad. Yeah. And you know, in their customs, it's so accepted for uh, men to hit their women, mm. you know, to discipline their women because their women, they say, are hard headed. But yeah. then to that that doesn't happen in our home where right. we work together and yeah. we disagree agreeably, you know, we work things out together. Yeah. Uh, and to help them see that. And there's so much violence in Congo where people yeah. fight so much. I mean, it's so common to see people fighting on the street and wherever Mm -hmm. but to help them and that's one of our rules in in our in our boys home if you have major fights three times you get kicked out okay we're not not talking just about slugging somebody we're talking about trying to stab somebody or crack them over the head almost and just a, a home that you know it's just you can't deal with it Mm-hmm. and stealing too we just if you steal too many times you get kicked out yeah because that destroys a home and it destroys our country that's why mm-hmm. congo's destroyed is because there's so much stealing at the high levels mm-hmm. so try to teach them things that we believe are really godly principles and seeing mm-hmm. where you know the bible teaches that too yeah. so trying to instill these at younger ages right. it's so hard if they're old Right Yes I would say, you know, we're so thankful for the four little kids that we've just got
2: mm-hmm. and
0: just trying to start already instilling these truths and in, in their lives, yeah,
1: would you say, of course, I can already tell that your parents were huge heroes of the faith for you and I would say your parents were huge heroes of the faith for a lot of us Um, and Becky and I have already talked about she's graciously agreed to and we don't have a date and we'll figure something out but um, to come back on and share her dad's testimony or in his story sometime so all that to say i know your your parents are heroes to you are there any other heroes of the faith that as a child or a teenager or even as a grown woman you've read their biographies and they've really inspired you
0: yeah i, I uh amy carmichael okay i don't do a lot of reading that that's was, okay yeah, because the bible i read but other than that to get time i know I, Like Okay, I'll do that when I have time and that never happens. I know.
1: (laughs) No judgment there, I promise. (laughs)
0: All the phones that you can listen to and things that you can listen while you're walking around, Uh that's become more of a a potential. And then like Mueller. Oh, uh, yes. (laughs) And just seeing how the Lord provided and just seeing how the Lord provides for our boys. Mm -hmm. And just meets needs. I mean, yeah, it's it's amazing to see what he's done for other people Mm -hmm. and and to see what he's done in our own lives. Mm And uh, yeah, my, my parents are probably some of my biggest humans. What a legacy.
1: Well, I know the legacy ultimately is of Jesus. And I am, there are so many vocations in this world and every one of them can reflect the Lord and can glorify the Lord. And But I'm just always so drawn to missionaries. Well, I'm drawn to anybody that loves the Lord. (laughs) I always don't wanna sound biased, but I think missionaries are such a blessing because they are the embodiment of what we're all called to do. Um, We're all called to share the gospel. We're all called to make sacrifices and missionaries' lives revolve around sacrifices for the sake of the gospel, you know? And I think that's why I find them so inspiring. I'm just so thankful for your willingness to come on uh, Cloud of Witnesses today and to just share your life. And I know you would say that you are just sharing the God of your life and what he's done in and through you and in through your husband and in through your parents and what he is doing in the Congo. And so thank you for um, for just encouraging our hearts that God is in Congo, God loves the Congo, God is for the Congo, and Jesus Christ died for the Congolese. And so thank you for encouraging our hearts by uh, just sharing your story and how that reflects that.
0: Well, thank you for allowing me to share it, and is, is me to be able to share. And maybe one of these days I will be able to, to write a book, but I doubt that the Lord will be that long.
1: <laughs> oh, amen. He's coming back soon. It sure feels like it, doesn't he? Right.
0: that we will be keep busy serving the lord and
1: whatever he brings into our life as we wrapped up our time together becky filled me in on the wonderful doors of opportunity the lord opened for her son paul to be with his people he'll be speaking at multiple churches in a round robin style mission conference he and becky will then travel to his sending church in iowa from there they will get ready to head back to kinshasa Paul will also communicate with his mission board. The initial plan is short-term missions. After that, home they go to share the truths of the gospel and to be the hands and feet of Jesus. As the Lord brings them to your heart and mind, I know that they would greatly appreciate your partnership of prayer. You know the title of this episode is Rescue the Perishing, so I thought I'd read the last verse of that song and a brief passage in James. It says, Rescue the Perishing duty demands it strength for thy labor the Lord will provide back to the narrow way patiently win them tell the poor wanderer a savior has died rescue the perishing care for the dying Jesus is merciful Jesus will save religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world Lee. Becky, Paul, I'm just so thankful for your example to all of us of visiting the orphans in their affliction. Thank you for loving the needy and for sharing the gospel with them. We need more people in this world like you.